Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. We are in part four of our series, Jesus for Grownups, and we have reached the point now in the life and teachings of Jesus where he is going to begin his public ministry. If you're with us the last several weeks, you know that he was born. Uh, God's rescue plan for redeeming humanity has begun in this infant child, Jesus. But then as you, as you turn from Matthew 2 into Matthew 3, you, you transgress 30 years of Jesus' life. And Jesus, we, we learn at his baptism, wasn't what anyone was expecting. They were expecting you know, the Messiah to come in judgment on on the world, or a judgment on sin, but Jesus has come to identify himself with the, the broken sinners of the world, not with the God of judgment. He's come to identify himself with the lost, the, the broken, those who are in need of repentance and salvation. This isn't to say, though, that Jesus was a sinner himself. That's actually a really important part of the narrative. It's an important part of our own salvation that Jesus was not a sinner himself. It's just that he came to take our place. He came to live as humanity was created to live, as we were all created to live, and perfect love for God and for others. Or we've been saying this throughout the series, Jesus is what humanity was supposed to be. We know because we experience it every single day that the world isn't right, that our relationships aren't right, that our relationships are broken. And again, these relationships across the board are to, to God, to our spouse, to our children, to our neighbor, to the earth itself, to creatures, to our finances. I mean, whatever relationship you can think of, it's broken. It's, a, it's not working right. But for Jesus, these relationships weren't broken. He lived rightly as we were called to live. He lived rightly in a right relationship with everyone and everything. And he calls us then to enter into a relationship with him so that through him, we might live rightly with all of these relationships as well. He is the model humanity. We've been talking a lot about this over the last several weeks. And at the end of the day, it's our hope that as we venture through the life and teachings of Jesus, that we will lay down all of our selfish ways, that we would lay down the sin that has so easily entangled all of us, and we would, we would surrender it to the life and the spirit of Christ, that he might do a work in us, and we would cling to him as we give over ourselves more to him. That there would be more of Jesus and less of me, more of Jesus, less of me, more of Jesus, less of me. This is a process, and I need you to know that. It's a very important process, and it doesn't happen as we try harder. It happens as we surrender more. And it's something that God does in us, and as we give more of ourselves to him to work with, and so he takes our mess, and he takes all of our brokenness, and he turns it and transforms it into something usable and beautiful. This should cause you all a very big sigh of relief. My past... My mistakes, which we all have, right, if we were to be honest, my past, my mistakes, they don't disqualify me from following Jesus. In fact, being a sinner is a prerequisite to following Jesus. And owning this fact and recognizing how toxic and harmful and suffering-inducing being a sinner is, it's where all of our journeys begin. It's an important part of the process. Recognizing that, acknowledging it, and owning that we are sinners is a really important part. But often when we look at our own sinful life and then at the life of Jesus, don't we, don't we kind of think, wow, there is a really big gap, right? Here's me, the sinner. Uh, I'm, I'm a mess, right? I have this past. I've made all these mistakes. And then there is Jesus way off in the distance. And there is a massive gap that is impossible to cross between me and Jesus. And we wonder, 
how, how could we even begin? This is where we're supposed to be. This is where we are. How do we even begin to get to what God wants for us and, and who God is calling us to be? Well, two points and a question before we venture into the story for today. Here's the first one. Becoming like Jesus is impossible for us. But when has impossible ever stopped God? And second, becoming like Jesus isn't about what we do, but about what God does in us. Again, this is a process, and it doesn't happen as we try harder. It happens as we surrender more. It's something God does in us as we give more of ourselves to him to work with. He takes our mess and molds it into something beautiful. And so the question, well, where do I begin? Where do we start? Or for some of you, the question may be, where do I continue? How do I continue on in the journey? To answer that question, we're going to look at Jesus is calling some of his 12 disciples. And like the baptism and the temptation in the wilderness, Jesus chooses how many disciples? Anybody know? 12 of them because there were 12 tribes of Israel, right? He is modeling his life after the story of Israel. He's, he's retelling through his life the story of Israel. He's taking on and fulfilling their vocation so God's promises to them can be fulfilled for the entire world. So one day after synagogue, a guy by the name of Simon Peter approaches Jesus and he invites him home for lunch. And he says, hey, Jesus, I would love you to come home to my house for lunch, uh, but I got an agenda. My mother-in-law is actually very ill and I was wondering if you could do something about that. He has seen what Jesus can do and so he thought maybe he can come and heal my mother. The problem was that it was on the Sabbath day and it is against the law to heal on the Sabbath day or to do any work on the Sabbath day. It's a big secret because they weren't supposed to do any work. But news begins to leak out to the community and at sunset, once Sabbath is over, tons of people are surrounding Simon Peter's house and they all have brought their sick and their disabled and their lame and their blind and their mute on mats and they have brought them to Jesus so that he could do what only Jesus can do. He is going to lay his hands on them. And we usually read right past this, but it's important because in their tradition, you weren't supposed to touch sick people. You became unclean when you touched sick people. You weren't supposed to touch the sick or the dying or the physically ill. Because then you would be contaminated with their illness. But isn't it amazing how Jesus, when he touches sick people, he doesn't get their illness, but they get his healing. He doesn't get their illness, he gets their life. And the reason this is astonishing is because people in their day, they associated sin with sickness. You know, how, how can you tell if someone has the power to forgive? Well, you can't really tell if someone has the power to forgive, but if, if I am, here's their understanding, right? If I am sick, because I am a sinner, and somebody comes and heals my sickness, then maybe he has the power to forgive me as well. Maybe this man has the power to forgive my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And so a lot of people would associate this, this healing of, of, this, of the body with the, the healing of the soul. And so Jesus begins healing people and laying hands on people, whoever was in need of healing. And this sets the stage for what comes next. The story of Jesus' calling his disciples is well known, and maybe some of you are familiar with it. And so often we think that the story that Jesus, you know, about Jesus calling his disciples, it, it demands that we take this giant leap of faith to where Jesus is. When, when Jesus calls us, he's like, hey, come and follow me. And so I must take a giant leap of faith, and I must transgress this enormous gap between where me and Jesus are, and I need to, to go and follow him. Abandon everything that we have, sell all the possessions, leave our family and follow. 
And if we don't look immediately like Jesus, once we begin following Jesus, then we're doing something wrong. You guys ever felt that way before? You know, I, I committed my life to Jesus, and all of a sudden, my life's not perfect. I thought that was supposed to happen. I committed my life to Jesus. I began following Jesus, and I still struggle with all of these things. I, I thought when I came to Jesus, I was going to transgress this enormous gap between me and Jesus, and all of a sudden, my life was going to be lived like Jesus. But so often, for all of us, for honest, that's not any of our experiences. I mean, look at Matthew's version of the story. It kind of implies this in some ways. Matthew's version goes like this. As Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Yeah, Jesus, I've never met you before, but great. Yeah, okay, I just saw you do one miracle. Yeah, we just met yesterday, of course. Now you want me to follow you? Abandon my life, abandon the, the pursuit, my dreams that my parents had for me as a kid, abandon my business, abandon everything I know to follow you? Sure. Let's do it. It's easy. Good luck with the business, Dad. I'm going off to follow this guy. I know we only met him yesterday, but yeah, you're going to be all right. It's unrealistic, it feels like. It even almost feels irresponsible, doesn't it? So often people use this text to say that if you're going to follow Jesus, that you need to drop everything and do it. Throw your plans away, because if Jesus isn't Lord of all, then Jesus isn't Lord at all. But come on, who actually does that? But there's more to the story than what Matthew tells, and luckily Luke is there to help pick up the pieces and to kind of fill in some of the gaps around what actually happened during this story. And what we learn and discover in Luke's gospel is he tells the same story, is that following Jesus isn't one giant leap of faith. It's one progression of baby step after baby step after baby step. And I think that is hopeful and it needs to be hopeful for each one of us because a lot of us may be scared or may feel daunted to go and take one giant leap of faith, but all of us, I think, can take one baby step of faith. Here's what we learn in the gospel of Luke chapter 5. One day... As Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And so they're crowding in on him and they're getting closer and closer and he's getting pushed back and all of a sudden his feet are in the water. And so he's like, this isn't going to work. And so he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. And the reason they're washing their nets is because they've already been fishing. They're done fishing for the night. This is late morning, and you go fishing at night because the water is cooler. And when the water is cool, the fish come up to the surface. But when the sun beats down upon the water during the day, the fish go deeper into the water. And so you fish at night with nets. And that's what they've been doing. They've been fishing all night long, and they're emptying their nets of all the beer cans and all the trash that they pulled out of the, out of the water. But there are no fish in the nets, so they're laying them out to dry before they take a break. And he got into one of the boats. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Again, Simon, we've already met him. He was the one who Jesus healed his mother-in-law on the Sabbath. And asked him to put out a little from shore, maybe, you know, eight, ten yards. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So now, you know, you can go right up to the water's edge. Jesus is out there on the boat. He's teaching from the boat size, kind of a cool environment. And it's not just the crowds listening. We know that Andrew, James, and John are also listening as well. And then he gives Simon Peter an invitation. And it's not an invitation, you know, to come forward or an invitation to abandon his family and abandon his job and to follow him and take one giant leap of faith. Here's the invitation. He asks Simon to go fishing. That's what he does. That's all he does. He asks Simon 
to go fishing. We had finished speaking. He said to Simon, and he makes this very unexpected, you know, somewhat irrational but doable request, something that Simon was very capable to do. It may have seemed a little odd to Simon to be requested this, but it's something that Simon is very comfortable doing. He doesn't say, Simon, I want you to abandon your family. I want you to abandon your business. I want you to give up everything that you've ever dreamed of and everything that you've ever hoped of and everything that you've ever known to follow me. It's not what he says. He gives Simon Peter a baby step. That's all I want you to do. Simon, just take a baby step. You're already out there. Why don't you put into deep water and let's let down your nets for a catch. Let's go fishing. That's all Jesus asked him to do. Take a step of faith and come fishing with me. It's simple, right? Of course Peter can do this, except we've already cleaned our nets and they're drying on the shore. And so Simon answered. Like we all would do, he uses an interesting term to refer to Jesus. It's a, it's a sign of respect. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night long. We're tired, you know, we're at the end, we're not at the beginning, we've washed our nets, they're drying on the shore. If we drop them into the water again, then we're going to have to clean them again. And come on, Jesus, we haven't caught anything when you're supposed to go fishing. What are the odds of us catching anything when we're not supposed to fish? And if my recollection is correct, Jesus, you're not a fisherman, you're a carpenter, right? So why don't you leave the fishing to the fishermen, and you leave the building things to the carpenters? And besides, Jesus, we've, we've drawn quite a crowd here. There's a lot of people watching us. They're going to watch me fish in the middle of the day, and they're going to watch me catch nothing. This is embarrassing, Jesus. We're in a fishing community. People are going to laugh at me if I do this. They know we're not to fish during the day. They're, they're going to laugh at me. But here's the tension point. And here's the transition point. And if I could just invite all of you, maybe who are on the edge of Christianity, maybe your Christianity has just gotten a little stale and a little boring. This is the tension. This is the transition. This would change everything for Peter. It's inconvenient, yes. I, I don't understand. Okay, fine. There's no guarantee this is going to work. But because you say so, I mean, yeah, you did heal my mother-in-law. I did see that. I get that. I probably owe you this, Jesus. I know it doesn't make any sense, but because you say so. Yeah, it's going to be embarrassing, but because you say so. Yeah, there are no fish on the surface of the lake during the day, but because you say so. I'm going to lose a day's worth of energy and probably some money. I'm certainly going to lose my reputation because of this, but... Because you say so, Jesus, I will let down the nets. And this is the pause in the story. Think, think of what they didn't know at this point. They had no idea what hung in the balance of their decision to go fishing with Jesus that day. If, if, if he had not met and decided to follow Jesus, these guys would just be forgotten, nameless fishermen from the first century. Nobody would remember Peter or Andrew or James if they would have remained fishermen. Nobody would have cared. They were just nameless fishermen. Nobody would know their names. They would not be remembered. They'd just be somebody else who came and went in the first century. Peter didn't know about this. I've never been here myself, but this is St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. This is built in Peter's honor. 
some nameless fisherman for the first century. This is built in his honor. It's actually built over the tomb of, of St. Peter. It's also built over the, the place where Nero, it's called Nero's Circus. It's in the first century. It's where he dragged Christians to their death and fed them to lions and soaked them in, in oil and burned them uh, to light up the games into the night. It took 120 years to build this. I, I can't imagine how they would build this now, let alone in the 16th century. It's gorgeous. It's beyond magnificent. Peter didn't know anything about this. He didn't expect this. Peter is like, oh man, I'm going to lose a day's worth of wages. Oh man, I'm going to lose some reputation. Oh man, I'm going to lose some energy. People are going to think I'm crazy. He had no idea what hung in the balance in this decision to go fishing when it didn't make any sense to say yes to go fishing. But Peter, will you trust me with this? It's just a baby step, Peter. It's all I'm asking you to do is go fishing. Will you trust me with this? You've heard me teach. You've seen me heal your mother-in-law. Will you trust me with this baby step? It's something you're already comfortable with. You know, I'm not even asking you to go outside your comfort zone. You already know how to fish. You already have the equipment. You got it all. Peter, will you trust me with this? Here's the thing. We have no idea what hangs in the balance for any of our decisions when we say yes to Jesus. Or say yes to what God wants us to do next. We don't know who hangs in the balance. We don't know what relationship is going to be healed if we say yes to Jesus. We we don't know what joy we're going to miss out on if we say no to whatever step God is inviting us to take next. We don't know how someone's life will change or how the world will change by our obedience to say yes to a baby step Jesus is asking us to take. Somebody said yes one time. Think about your own life. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, think about this. Someone said yes and invited you into a relationship with Christ. And now your life has changed. What yes is he asking you to be obedient to? And let's be honest, right? Some of our Christianity has just gotten a little boring. Some of our Christianity has just gotten a little stale. It's a little predictable. It's a little too color-coded. It's a little too on the calendar. It's just robotic and routine over and over again. It's gotten boring. And once in a while, you're challenged to get out of your comfort zone. You're challenged to do something. To exercise your faith muscle and to do something bold and exciting and different, but you just keep talking yourself out of it. But you have no idea what hangs in the balance when you do something uncomfortable, but you feel prompted in your heart to do it. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And so back to the story. Jesus, yeah, we're going to let down our nets, but, but could you just dismiss this crowd before we do this? Because it's embarrassing. It's a fishing community. Can you just tell them to all go away because this isn't going to end well? When they had done so, when they let down their knife, not when they believed so, not when they you know, had considered or thought about how guilty they were feeling, not when they had prayed about it, when they acted, when they did what Jesus actually asked them to do, because throughout his teaching, Jesus says, my friends, it's not enough just to listen. It's not. You, you can't just listen to me and stand at a distance and say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, 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 I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do. I'm listening to everything he's saying. I'm reading the Bible, but I don't apply it in my life. Listening makes no difference. Doing makes things change. Listening is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anything until it's stuck to the wall. It doesn't do anything until you apply it. And it's the same with Jesus, applying the teachings and things begin to change. And that's a word that some of you need to hear this morning. You've been listening. You've been standing at a distance for a long time. 
and you're wondering where the change is. Listening does very, very little. It's when you begin to apply it that things begin to change. The text says, when they had done so, when their faith, their belief, their trust took action, something began to happen. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both boats so they, so full that they actually began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he cried out, we're rich. We won't have to work for weeks. And immediately Peter had offered Jesus a seven-year contract with 30% ownership of the company with a seven-year non-compete. That's not actually in the Bible, friends. I'm just, uh, <clears throat> I'm just making sure you're all awake, staying with me here this morning, okay? Just keep you on your toes. Now, but, but, but before we actually take a look at this, what would you do in this situation? All right, you've seen Jesus heal your mother-in-law, okay? You, you've heard a little bit of his teaching while you were cleaning his nets. You heard what he was saying to the crowds. And then Jesus asks you to go fishing, and you're very, very hesitant, but you say yes, maybe very reluctantly. You say yes, you go into the boat, you let down your nets, and you catch a, a haul so large that it actually sinks your boat. How do you respond to that? I think... I would hope that I would respond the same way Peter would. I would hope that you would respond the same way Peter does as well. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees. Suddenly, I mean, fish, he doesn't even remember that anymore. He just sees Jesus in front of him, right? And he said, he didn't say, wow, so cool. Like, we're going to be so rich. Who's, who's going to clean all these fish? Like, he, he didn't say that, Right. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, new title, Lord. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord, go away from me. Suddenly, it's a title of authority and ownership. Why would he say, Go away from me, Lord? He tells us, Because I am a sinful man. We may be inches apart, right, physically, but we are nowhere close, right? His assumption was the assumption of all the common Jewish people in the first century, that Jesus distances himself from sinners. And, and the reason they thought that is because religious leaders distance themselves from sinners. So God must do the same. For, for much of your life, for much of your life, maybe you believe this about God as well. And that because you're a sinner, that God cannot come near you. That God doesn't come near sinners. That you've done too many things. You behave too badly. The choices you've made have screwed you up. Maybe what somebody else has done has left you tainted. And so God can't come near you. Because God doesn't come near sinful people. You're dirty and you're a sinner and you know it. And you thought that was your condemnation. But friends, in an economy of mercy where mercy and grace and love are what is valuable, acknowledging you're a sinner is where salvation begins. Acknowledging you're a sinner is a prerequisite, actually, to following Jesus. And, and it wasn't just Peter who thought this and felt this. Everyone there is watching how, and, and, and they knew how wide the gap was between them and Jesus. They knew the, the, the enormity of the gap, right, that I am a sinner and Jesus is nowhere near me, right? This is the Lord this is God incarnate. He is nowhere near me, and yet he is drawn close to me. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, something he'd say to them over and over and over again, do not be afraid. Now that you've seen me heal and control nature, there's nothing, there's nothing to be afraid of if you are with me. From now on, you 
will fish for people. Hey guys, let's go change the world. Let's go invite all of those people who are broken and hurting and who think that God is throwing them away because of how dirty and sinful they are. Let's go invite them into the salvation. Let's go invite them into forgiveness. Let's go invite them into mercy. Let's go invite them into meaning and purpose. Let's go fulfill all of their deepest longings. Let's go change the world. You guys, you guys up for that? Let's go change the world. Let's do it. And so they pulled their boats on shore and they left everything and they followed him. And these four guys would die with nothing, including regret. And they followed him. They followed Jesus. And I think that you would have done the same. And I, and I hope that I would have done the same. And I think your parents would have said, yeah, go. Go. How can you dismiss this man? How can you not follow this man? Look what he's done for you. And the tension, right? That's the tension for us. Well, yeah, well, if Jesus was here standing next to me and he did something miraculous like that for me, then yeah, I would follow him too. But you know what? I don't know. If we experienced what they did, then we'd follow Jesus. And, and Peter, Peter would look at us all if we said that. Peter would look at us and be like, dude, I started following Jesus not because he asked me to, you know, I saw a little bit of evidence and then I saw a little bit more and then I took one baby step after another, after another, after another. And that's it, right? It was just a baby step that led to another and to another. And I kept seeing evidence. And so I kept taking the steps and I, I kept discovering life and I kept discovering purpose and I kept discovering forgiveness and wholeness and peace and joy and patience begin to grow in me. And I kept experiencing it. So I kept taking more and more steps towards Jesus. I kept seeing the evidence. And then when the invitation was in front of me and said, yeah, I'm going. I'm going to follow this guy. Because he's leading me to life. I'm going to the van forward. We're going to reflect on this as we sing a final song together this morning. Yeah, Peter, you know, we say, if we saw the evidence, um, then we'd follow too. And Peter would say, what? Seriously? Like, all Jesus did was catch some fish. Like, yeah, that was pretty cool, man. Like, you you got to believe me, it was a pretty cool sight. But do you guys know what he did for you? You should, because I wrote some letters and I, and I talked about what God did through Jesus for you. You have these letters, it's in your Bible, First and Second Peter we call them, we were told this, when they hurled their insults at him, Peter wrote. He did not retaliate, this is when he's hanging on the cross. I, I saw this with my very own eyes, Peter would say, have you ever seen a crucifixion? We'd be like, no, we've never seen a crucifixion, they don't happen in our day and age anymore. Have you ever smelled a crucifixion? No, we don't, we haven't, right? Have you ever seen a fully grown man crying for his mother and screaming in agony, hanging there until he's dead? No, we don't, right? Because we don't see crucifixions. But Jesus didn't retaliate. Jesus didn't scream. Jesus didn't cry. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And in his great mercy, he has forgiven us new, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. 
Catching fish, Peter would say. Catching fish? That's nothing. Dying for the sins of humanity and bringing us back to God? I mean, come on, that is everything. You're on the other side of the resurrection and you're still not following Jesus? Jesus came back to life. All he did for me was catch some fish and I followed him. And you're on the other side of the resurrection and you're still not giving your life to this man? No, following Jesus, he would say, is a series of baby steps. It's not one giant leap. Take one little baby step and see what God does with it. Look at the evidence and then take another one. And your baby step, you know, today, friends, might just be to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Maybe that's where it begins for you. Just acknowledge today that you are a sinner. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never got to that point. Maybe you've never been broken and you've never experienced the suffering that your sin causes in your relationship or in your own heart. Maybe today you just need to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Maybe for you it's to come back to faith. Maybe you've drifted away and now you need to come back. And maybe to admit your part in a broken relationship. To humble yourself before the person who you have wounded and say, I'm sorry. Maybe that's where it begins. Maybe you need to acknowledge that you're a contributor to the chaos in the world. That it's not everybody else's fault all the time. That you're a participant in why the world is broken in the way it is. Maybe it's to acknowledge your own impurity. Maybe you bought into the embrace the ethic of this culture in all sorts of different ways. And you just need to acknowledge that maybe you've drifted and you've embraced that. Maybe you need to do something about that thing that's been nagging you. And God is trying to, you know, he's been pricking you for a long time. You just need to step up and say, okay, God, I'm ready to step out. I'm ready to do it. Maybe you need to seek someone's forgiveness. Maybe you need to pick up the trash that bothers you on the road instead of driving by it every single day. Maybe it's to stop and help instead of bypassing those people that you see on the side. Maybe it's to start serving. Maybe it's to start giving. For some of you, it's, it's serving. It's to get out of your comfort zone. It's to do something unusual and something that's out of the ordinary. For some of you, it's it's the stuff that you're holding on to and the stuff that you're hoarding that maybe you need to start giving and be less greedy. What are you afraid of? One little baby step is all Jesus is asking you to take. One little baby step. And then when that baby step is complete and you've discovered the life and the mercy and the grace and the abundance that comes with it, then take another one. And when you experience the evidence of Jesus' life and his patience and his joy being birthed in you, then take another one. And eventually, eventually, you know what's going to happen? The selfishness is going to fall away and the love, the self-sacrificial love that embodies the follower of Jesus is going to be beginning to grow in its place. But it's not all going to happen at once. Following Jesus is not one giant leap of faith that he's asking you to take. It is one baby step that he's asking you to take. And take it, my friends. You will not be disappointed. Take it. Take it. He's inviting you into such an abundant life. Heavenly Father, I know that um, I know that for me, and, and, and maybe there are other people who, who feel this way, and so this prayer is for them as well this morning. I know for me, Father, that, um, that I'm hesitant at times. I'm hesitant in times to go where you call me to go and to do what you call me to do, Father, because it's going to cost me something. And it's that selfishness that is keeping me from, from doing it. It's the selfishness that's, that's keeping me from, from seeking forgiveness and, and, and seeking restoration or, or being more generous or whatever else it may be, Father. That you're calling me to do, you're calling me to break away from the, the shackles of my own self-reigning heart. And, and, and Father, I know that I'm hesitant to do that sometimes, but... 
but you're calling me into an abundant life. A life of deeper trust and greater joy, Father. And I want that for me. I want that for my family. I want that for this community. And so I pray that we might be a faithful people to take the step in front of us and then to take the next step and the next step and the next, Father, and that we would go then wherever you may lead us. Wherever you may lead us, Father, may we go wherever you may lead us. Wherever you may lead us.